turn with me, if you, in you, if you would, in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. As precious as those children are in today's world, if we're not careful, they're in danger. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, it says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which kept the commandments of God and had the testimony of Jesus Christ. And this is, I'm not going to get too deep into the revelations because this isn't the point, but bottom line is this is speaking to a time that was before time, a time during time, and a time to come. And because he's saying that this war was been raged for people who have the testimony of Jesus Christ, we're talking about today. Children that have the testimony of Jesus Christ. God's children, grown folks, that have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So you have to understand that in this day and age, we are at war. We are at war to the left and to the right. Have you looked at the news lately? We are in some warfare. Listen to these statistics. This statistic was taken from Wipos, a popular branding and digital research website. It says 51% of 13 to 33-year-olds say getting likes on social media gives them a rush. 2% of 13 to 33-year-olds say they don't use any social media platform. So in other words, 98% of people ages 13 to 33 years old are on social media. 98%. It says millennials spend 11 hours and 26 minutes on a smart device, three times more than they do in regular face-to-face -face conversation. 11 and a half hours on a smart device throughout the day. Four in 10, 13 to 33-year-olds admit that they are addicted to social media. Now let's talk about what the CDC has to say about the millennial age. The CDC says that sexually active high school students comprise of about 46%. 46% 40 of high school students are having sex, y'all. It says here that young adults ages 15 to 24-year-olds account for 50% of newly diagnosed STDs and STIs per year, although they only comprise of 24% of sexually transmitted, sex, the sexually experienced. Teen pregnancy in 2015 was measured at 2.2%. 2.2% is still high when the number should be zero. Department of Juvenile Justice says that 11% of violent crimes are committed by youth. 17% of property crimes are committed by youth. And then high school dropouts. 2014, males are dropping out of high school at 7.1%, females at 5.9%. That's what's going on today, and I'm not even going to get into all the rest of these stats that I pulled. But this is what God says, because in spite of all of that, God says we win. His word says we win. This whole message is called victory because we do win. We have victory. Amen? 1 John chapter 5, verses, uh, verse 4, it says, For whatsoever or whosoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So your faith in you, your faith that's operating within you, your faith in God is what will separate losers from winners. It's what will separate, because some of y'all are looking at me like, what is going on? 
one thing that is inevitable is change. And this whole day, well, this whole message is, evolves around being ready for change. So in saying that, understanding that we are at war, but even though we are at war, we have victory. What is our warfare really about? Some of y'all want to talk to me? Can some of y'all talk to me? You want to talk to me? Where do you think our warfare is? Where is it? Spiritual warfare? In the mind, some of y'all were here first service. You're cheating. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, it says in the message, The world is unprincipled. It's dog-eat-dog dog out there. The world does not fight fair, but we don't live or fight our battles that way, never have and never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entirely massive corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready in hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. So in other words, whatever warfare may be going on about you, it starts within you. Young people, the way you think, what you entertain, and what you truly believe, and who you are, and how true you are to who you are, is a warfare that's waged every time you come up against something that's contrary to what's within you. When you understand who you are, when you understand what's going on in your mind that will pivot the decision as to whether or not you are on the winning side or on the losing side, then you're ready for that war when you decide the winning side and you know that there's an enemy coming and you're prepared for, what's, for the warfare that's about to be waged. So when we're entering into warfare, God gave us a strategy. And in this strategy, he, I mean, he never leaves us without. But he gave us a wonderful example of a strategy by which we can engage when we are entering into warfare. I love the story of Jericho and the walls falling down. I was talking to a 23, 24-year-old not too long ago, a couple of months ago, and they were not familiar with the story. And it was amazing to me that we are entertaining a young American who says they go to church but are not familiar with some of the standard stories of the Bible. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. In other words, the Old Testament is full of examples by way, by way God demonstrates himself in the New Testament. So let me read this story to you. In Joshua chapter 6, well, I don't have time to read it to you right now. I'm going to go ahead and tell you the story. But in Joshua chapter 6, I want you to read that in verse 1. It's talking about where Joshua now has taken over the helm of Moses. And he's now charged to go into the city and take the city, take the land that he's promised him. And the land is so massive that he has to go through city to city to city to take it. And the very first city that they encounter is this city called Jericho. And it says in verse 1 that Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. In other words, the city of Jericho had heard about the reputation of the children of God, how God has moved heaven and earth on their behalf. He parted the Red Sea, and they scared. And so they are making sure that Israel cannot come in. And God was like, you know what? This wall you have up. It is of no difference to me. 
And what he has them do is he tells the children of Israel, it's a wall, and it may look impenetrable, but don't you worry because I have a strategy. And the very first part of that strategy is, number one, line up all the armed men. Have them get them, their swords, have them get their weapons, and they go in the front line. And as they are going in the front line, he says, right behind them, get seven priests. And these seven priests, they have to bear the trumpet of the ram's horn. And as they are walking and as they are marching around this city, I'm not talking about a few hundred. I'm not talking about a few thousand. I'm not talking about a few tens of thousands. I'm talking about hundreds of thousands of people are falling right behind them. And as they are walking around this city, the armed men in front, the trumpet, the seven trumpets of that the priests are buried are boom, 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 boom. And this is what I want you to get in this point right here. And we'll talk more about it in a little bit. Is that your praise is the litmus test of what you believe. Your praise and what you believe is the litmus test of where you are. If you can't praise God in the midst, everyone can praise God when something good happens. But when you can praise God in the midst of your pain, if you can praise God in the midst of your dismay, if you can praise God in the midst of your confusion, if you can declare who he is before those walls start tumbling down, then you've already obtained your victory. And what he says on that seventh day, because mind you, they had to do this for six days. And this didn't start in day one. It didn't start day two. Mind you, these kids were out there in the wilderness for 40 years. And they're at the countdown of their victory. And when he comes, when they come around that wall that sixth time, Joshua's like, get ready, y'all. 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 And now they enter the seventh time. That trumpet, those trumpets go out. And then he says, shout! And the children of Israel, I think the very first six days, they had to get their mind right. Because he said, don't say nothing until I tell you to say something. Those first six days, they're thinking about what happened. Those first six days, my daddy died. Those first six days, my mama died. Those first six days, this land we've been waiting for. Those first six days, 40 years in the wilderness. Those first six days, they had to get past their issues and get themselves, their minds right, so that they can yell at the top of their lungs. And it is at the point of their yelling, loud, declaring who reigns that the walls came tumbling down. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. Verse 8, and it came to pass. When Joshua had spoken unto the people that seven priests bearing the trumpets of ram's horns passed on before the Lord and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests that blew with the trumpets, and the re-reward came after the ark, the priests going on and blowing the trumpets. Verse 10, and Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout. Then shall you shout. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Verse 20, so the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with great shout that the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took that city. Verse 27, 
So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout the all country. Sometimes the loneliest time in the world is when you make a decision to obey God. Young people, I'm going to say it again. The loneliest time in the world is when you make a decision to obey God. I'm just going to, that's just a fact. Because the way of the ratchet is wide. But the way of the righteous and the obedient is narrow. And in this day and age when trending is to act reckless, you have to make a decision at any point in time that you're going to do what's right because it's right. You're going to have to separate for yourself from being popular or liked. Because the reality is just because you have, have 10,000 friends on Facebook does not mean that either one of them are really your friends. And just because you have 20,000 likes on Snapchat, Twitter, or whatever doesn't mean that they really like you. So understand, young people and old people alike, that your identity is not wrapped up in what's going on in social media or what's popular out there in the world. Your identity is wrapped up in the most high God, the great I am, whose image you bear. Warfare comes with strategy. You have to understand who is the enemy, what was the violation, and what is the strategy. Countries, they have to declare who is the enemy, what was the violation? Now, what's going to be our strategy? God gave a great example of this strategy in this story of Jericho. Because the very first thing that he had tell them to go in, metaphorically speaking, was the armed men. The armed men went in first because God ain't crazy. He knows that an attack is liable to happen. If you've been there Wednesday nights, you know what I meant when I, what I just said. Liable to. English major. University of Michigan. Liable to. The armed men goes forth first. Number one, strategy and warfare. The armed men represent the word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, according to Hebrews. It's able to tear asunder the very marrow from the bone. It says, tells us, and I believe in Ephesians, when we put on the armor of God to bear our weapon of choice, and the weapon of choice is the word of God. If you, you cannot fight the devil on his territory and on his term, you're going to lose every time. If you call yourself Christ, you are Christians, and you want to engage in some tongue lashing, you want to get engaged, and he says, she said, yeah, you're going to lose. Because you find him on his territory. He's mastered it over millions of years. So you have to engage and get your main ally, even if it's just you and Jesus alone, and have the word of God indwelling in you. He says, our weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not flesh and blood, but they're mighty through God through the pulling down of strongholds. Anything that exalts itself against what? The word of God. The word of God that you know. The word of God that, deals, that dwells within you. If you are a youth in here, you're a young person in here, you started children's church a long time ago. And if you know nothing else but, yes, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. If you know nothing but the story of Abraham. I, we were just singing that song, Resurrection Weekend. You know enough to defeat the enemy. If all you know is John 3.16, you know enough to defeat the enemy. Check this. If what you know is Jesus and you have a revelation of who he is in your life, you have enough to defeat the enemy. 
So the very first thing to go forward in that warfare is the word of God. Wield your weapon. You better be strapped and you better be strapped tight in this day and age. Second thing that goes forth are the priests bearing the ram's horn. If you can't praise him in the midst of your pain, trouble, confusion, listen, you haven't really identified the faith that lives on the inside of you. Your praise comes before the victory because your praise is what stills the hand of the enemy. Your praise is what confuses the encampment of those that are set against you. Your praise and what you say that comes out of your mouth should speak life because there's enough death going on around you. And if what you're saying, speaking praise, speaking thanksgiving, an awareness of the solution and the victory rather than an awareness of the defeat and the lies postures you to now usher in what came next, which is the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. Because he said, enter into his course with thanksgiving, enter into his gates with praise. He said that he inhabits the praises of his people. He said that when two or three gather together in his name, there he is in the midst of them. So when we are praising God, when we have his word within us, he can't help but to show up. He's already in you, but understand this. He has a way of showing up on the outside. And when he shows up on the outside, there is no denying on who just did that. And then the last thing to come up behind the rear was the re-reward, he says. These are the soldiers. These are the people that says, you know what? I'm ready to take what's mine. I'm ready to seize. I've been on pause for too long. And I'm ready. As soon as he shouts, I'm ready to take it up on the back end. See, they're marching around this wall. And as they are marching around this wall, they are meditating. Because mind you, he said, don't say a word. I don't want to hear you complain. I don't want to hear your doubt. I don't want to hear you miss your mama. I don't want to hear you miss your daddy. Because we are at war right now. And though it might not look like it, although you don't see all the blood and shedding going on right now, we are at war. Don't you say a word contrary to victory. He says, don't let anything come out of your mouth. He says, all we need to hear is the stomp of your obedience and the blast of the trumpet. And the stomp of their obedience and the blast of the trumpet and the presence of God was enough to ramble, to, ramble, to shake, to weaken those walls. It was enough to weaken those walls. I just imagine little sand crumbs falling down while they're marching. Each step. Because each step is a step closer to their victory. Each step was a step of obedience. Each step was a step of faith. Contrary to what they just experienced 40 years in the wilderness. Contrary to what they heard their parents had experienced 400 years in slavery to Egypt. And now... As they come around that seventh day, having the word of God, as you come around that seventh day, when you know your countdown, just when it seems like it's darkest before the dawn, just when it seems like you're tired and you feel like giving up, just as it seems like your kids that acted the fool for the last time in your house, just when it seems like the doctor gave you the last report that you want to hear about how it's negative, just when that last bill shows up, when you know the countdown is on and you know you've done all that you can do, and you got the word of God dwelling inside of you, you have earnest, heartfelt, honest, faithful praise on your mouth. You are petitioning his presence every day, so much so that now the joy of the Lord is there with you, and there's pleasures forevermore at your right hand. 
when you are beyond a shadow of a doubt certain that though 1,000 may come at my right left hand or 10,000 at my right, it shall not come upon me. God, I don't know what you're about to do, but you're about to make it big. You're about to show me that you are the great I am. When Moses stood in front of that mountain and he said, take your people and set them free. Who am I going to say that? I ain't nobody. Who am I going to say that sent me? He said, I am. I am. I am everything you need. I am your first and your last. I am your beginning and your end. I am the author and the finisher. I am your, I am your re-reward. It says, tell them that I am sent you, and that's enough. How you get 10, 2 million people to obey you off of I am? When you know you are obeying the word of God. Amen. Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believes that Jesus is the son of God? No one understands, folks. I said earlier that 98% of millennials ages 13 to 33 are on social media. There is a volley for your attention left or right all the time. And I read to you a whole bunch of stats on what's not so good. But let me let, read you some stats that are contrary to what I read. See, it says here 62% of millennials, people ages 13 to 33, are making their purchases online. They're online 11 and a half hours a day. It says here 43% of millennials are non-white. There's a whole lot more diversity going on that we want to give credit to. One-fourth of millennials speak a second language. 55% of minorities are Spanish-speaking. $1.3 trillion are being spent by millennials. It's the highest in the entire world and the highest it's ever has been in history. The median income for a millennial is $33,883. 85% of millennials own some kind of smart device and they touch them at least 45 times a day. One third of millennials ages 26 to 33 have earned at least a bachelor's degree, making them the most educated generation in U.S. history. Whereas before, it was more like 41% of Americans, young Americans under the ages of 30 were without their mother. Now, 38% of Americans are without their mother. And just like the generation of Joshua, this generation was led into a situation by God where they have to now war, not based off of what the example that was set before them, but because of the example that they're, of what they're not supposed to do that was set before them. See, this was a motherless generation on many fronts because their parents, because they did not obey, because they did not trust the word of God, because they did not give in to his promises, they died in the wilderness. They experienced God. They experienced God. But they weren't true believers of who he was, the great I am. And they suffered for that by dying and not being a part of the promises that was set before them. And I wonder in this day and age, how many parents are failing to be the example of what to do instead of the example of what not to do? How many of us are concentrating on the problem instead of the solution? 
it blessed me so when my husband got up here and he was ministering and he made mention about a conversation that he had with my son. And because we, we are very well aware, I have good kids. I am blessed by my babies. But you know, teenagers, they just have this propensity to test some things and some more than others. And my son is that child. And when he gets to this place where he's just testing his boundaries, and my husband, because we're very well aware of what he's doing right, and we decided to major on what was wrong. And my, my son explains back to my husband, dad is not helping me. We're living with a generation of people because these millennials right now, industries are spending millions of dollars on trying to understand them. Because guess what? This generation, my generation, Generation X, we saw more change than any other generation. We saw the remote control. We saw the eight track, the cassette, and the CD. We saw the microwave. We saw the beeper, the Nextel, and the cell phone. Come on now. We saw the reel-to-reel, -reel, the VHS, and the DVD. We saw telephone, fax machines, and the internet. Generation X has seen a lot, but we also experienced a lot. Though we were post-civil rights movement, we were very well aware of the riots of LA, the riots of Chicago. We were very well aware of that. We are very well aware of the struggles and the recession of the 80s. Very well aware of the picket lines and the strikes and the labor unions going back and forth. Very well aware of the layoffs and the shutdowns of Enron and, and, the, and, the, and the bursts of the economy. Very well aware of graduating from college and praying to God that you get a job. Not a job in your major, but a job. So that mindset made us so concentrated on what was wrong in our experience that we taught our children what not to do. Can't trust, don't give your life to one job because we came out of an era where you just worked 40 years, 30 years for a job and you retire. But that stopped with Generation X. So now we're like, no, you get what's best for you because they're not looking out what's for you. Millennials are starting businesses more than any other generation before them. They're like, forget this, I'm exiting the workforce. Let me find something to create. Let me get a side hustle. We taught them what not to do. In Joshua's time, this strategy was not just for what they were to do in this wall of Jericho. And metaphorically, it's not just what to do, even though it starts within you, it's also without you. Adults and youth alike, I charge you now that to know who you are in Christ, because there is a dividing line that's coming up daily. And you're going to have to decide whether you are the wheat or the chafe. What side of the line are you going to be on? And catch this. And I just read all this here, digital age stats. If you're caught up on what's trending, you've bought into the deception. I dare you, young people, to be what's trending for right. I dare you to stand for what you and who you are. 
because they're going to find something to not like about you anyway. So you may as well have them not like you for the one that you really represent. Because he has a way of changing their mind later on. See, when the word of God dwells within you, then you should ooze with love. You should ooze with grace. You should ooze and leak mercy. Slow to speak, slow to anger, slow to wrath, but quick to forgiveness. When you have the word of God inside of you, you should ooze and there should be a light about you that's just going to attract people. When praise is on your lips, you learn the art of praising and celebrating who they are. Praising the good that they produce. I don't care how crazy and ratchet or cutting up your child might be. There's something good that you can celebrate about them because they came out of you. So instead of being so focused on what they're doing wrong, spend just as much time celebrate what they're doing right. If you're putting them on punishment and you're taking their phone away for something inappropriate that they're doing, then first of all, check yourself, but also on the second end, say, okay, since I'm taking away time with you and your phone, let's spend time with me. Because at the end of the day, despite all those ne negative statistics, they're saying that if a child spends at least a fraction of their time with their mother or their father, with their parent or a loved one, it will curb 50% of at-risk behavior and decisions. 50%. When you figure millennials are spending 11 and a half hours looking at or touching their device a day, three times more than the conversations that they're having with actual human beings, you can't help but to ask yourself, what kind of wall are they creating in their mind? And how will that translate in the days to come? Because my babies are important to me. And I'm sure your babies are important to you. And it's important to me that they represent the name Most High. It's important to me that they know who they are in Christ. It's important to me that they understand up front that they are a peculiar priesthood, a peculiar people, a royal priesthood made in the image of the Most High God. And at the end of the day, whether you want to or not, there's going to come a day that every knee's going to bow, every knee's going to bend, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. And you may as well make up that decision right now and, and, and act like it because you're living in a world and in a system that's trying to pull that away from you. There's no greater name than the name of Jesus. So whatever warfare you are engaged in, you best to get the most powerful ally on your side. Please stand to your feet. Philippians says that it is at that name that every knee shall bow, whether on earth, whether above the earth, or whether beneath the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if you look at the actual King James Version, it says should, because on one side, there's going to be a host of people that joyfully, reverentially, and earnestly 
bow to that name because they call him Lord. They call him Savior. They call him Prince of Peace. They call him Redeemer. They call him Strong Tower. But then there's going to be an other side of life. It says should there in the King James because it acknowledges that there's going to be a host of people that can't do nothing else but bow down. Not because they want to. Not because they tasted and saw that the Lord himself is good. But because they see now that they were wrong. That he is full of grace, mercy, and power. While we're checking and assessing our heart's condition, while we're breaking through barriers of what's popular and acceptable in society, I want you to prayerfully consider who you are and whose you are. Is Jesus Lord, as in master, as in teacher, as in father, as well as Savior, your guide into heaven? Or is he simply someone that you know and conveniently call upon when you're in trouble? There's no greater name than the name of Jesus. So while every head is bowed and every eye is closed,